Hello, I'm Ray Reich, founder and CEO of RevOps Squared, and your host of the Metrics That Measure Up podcast. We talk to a wide variety of B2B, SaaS, and cloud thought leaders, executives, investors, and people just like you to discuss the metrics and benchmarks they use to make metrics-informed decisions. Now on to today's show. Welcome to today's episode of the Metrics Major Up podcast. Today, we're joined by Craig Rosenberg, the Chief Platform Officer at Scale Venture Partners and former Distinguished Analyst at Gartner and co-founder at Topo. Today, we'll be covering three main areas with Craig. First, defining the end-to-end customer journey. Second, how do vital signs and triage play a role in B2B SaaS? And third, why a well-defined sales process is critical to be able to make metrics-driven decisions. Craig, please take a moment to give a brief overview of your journey to becoming a guest on the Metrics That Major Up podcast. Well, Ray, first of all, thanks for having me on. It's an honor. And we're taking our conversations we have offline and bringing them online so everyone else can listen to them. But yeah, I mean, look, you you gave my background. I mean, I at Topo, I, you know, spent what, seven, eight years with SaaS companies at various stages of growth, you know, to find the strategy, people, process, technology, tactics that would work for them to help them uh, achieve hyper growth. The thing that I learned is it's actually strategy, people, process, technology, tactics, and metrics. That is actually the key. I mean, you know this, you started this company, right? That without metrics, it's really hard for us to really pinpoint, you know, where the issues lie. And so that was one. But number two is when you looked at the best companies in the world, they were metrics driven. Anyway, so we were acquired by Gartner and I became a distinguished vice president analyst there. And I started working with really big sales organizations outside of SaaS. And what you realize there is that there's this massive movement towards being data-driven there as well. Now they got a lot of, you know, if you're a $50 billion company or whatever that's been around for years, you got a lot of stuff to move around to go do it, but they're doing the right thing, right? And so, you know, what got me here is like, well, I'm going to go help people. Oh my God, we need to understand metrics because that's what works. And then number two is it's happening across the board and for everyone. So, you know, for me, this is a really important way for us to figure out how we run our businesses. And that's why, you know, So my experiences tie back to your experiences and bring us here today so we can go have a good conversation. (laughs) Well, we can double click on that experience. It's funny, Craig. You know, my first almost 10 years after undergrad was at GE, back when GE was viewed as kind of one of the best management programs in the world. And they forced us to not only understand metrics, but to drive decisions with metrics. I still remember being at the pit. The pit is at the Management Development Institute at GE, where Jack Welch would call upon you and say, hey, I've got a question for you. We're having this challenge. What do you think? And he wanted to see that you actually could back up your opinion with critical thought and data. And if it was just you opining on something with no critical thought or data, you could actually get fired on the spot. So, Well, I mean, a little scary, but the intent is good. Exactly. Well, you learn to make sure you know your data before you walk into a meeting with Mr. Welch. But anyhow, so SaaS Metrics Palooza was, you know, just a couple of weeks ago. And I, I loved your session. And you, one of the things you talked about at SaaS Metrics Palooza was 
the end-to-end customer journey. And we hear a lot about the customer journey, customer life cycle, journey mapping, et cetera. But let's start at the top. Why is understanding the end-to-end customer journey such an important concept to B2B SaaS companies? Yeah, well, I think, well, first of all, it's I like that you threw in all those different sort of terms because the truth is most customer journeys you look at are actually very generic and to sort of high level and 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 just really focused on sort of some kind of naming convention or or whatever that might be. Whereas the way I think about it is we have to be able to track, well, first of all, understand first, right? And then, you know, how our buyers are going to buy which actually isn't as complicated as people make it, right? Because in B2B SaaS, ultimately they might twist and turn, but they're going to end up very similar milestones to everyone else. So we want to take everything. So what's the customer end-to-end journey? We can start in the internet, right? The sort of marketing and advertising and the the things that happen on the third-party internet, all the way through the stuff that we do as they come to our website and begin to engage with us, you know, through their time in sales development and lead nurturing, through sales. And then most importantly, everyone's customer journey, it's incredible, cuts off at closed one. So if someone built it, it's always ends at closed one. It's always really, as I said, generic ends at closed one. When in today's world for SaaS, you're looking at adoption, renewal, and expansion. And if you don't, right, then you're missing a key piece. So why do we need to tie these things together? Because for us to be able to make really great decisions, we want to look at what's happening across the entire life cycle, right? And figure out, A, you know, where things are going well and where they're not. And we can't do that unless we're looking at the whole thing. But number two is, you know, there's a correlation here. So you and I talked in the webinar is a great example, which is, well, let's say you've mapped the life cycle. If you have, then we can start to look at things like, well, what happens in different segments as they go across the entire life cycle or different industries, different buyer types, right? We can't do those things if we're only looking at one area, right? And a lot of times people can come back. They can, they can come back and say, look, like this is the type of activity that creates a lead, right? Or this is the type of activity that from sales opportunity creation to close, there, there's enough there for them to make okay calls from a metrics perspective. But what we really want to do is say, by looking at the whole thing, you know, we're talking, going back to the segment, could we say, I've had so many clients improve their churn by just looking at who the customers were in the first place, right? But I don't know if you remember, but I, I'd say years ago, there was this really good wave of good decision-making where like clients would look and it's, you know, I remember one just basically looked at their churn. They said, oh my God, like the SMB is killing our retention rate and it's blowing up our CS. And they made the decision, which at the time was hard, but was great to stop. They literally just cut it off and just said, we're going to go mid-market up. But they couldn't have made that good decision had they not looked at, been able to look at the entire life cycle and then start to figure out, you know, who came in through the top. Another thing to think about too is, you know, how they come in, how they engage, what does that mean, you know, on the back end and, you know, other sort of, you can start to use your imagination at that point. But that's how I think about it. Let's back up for a minute because, you know, whether you call the buyer journey or the customer life cycle journey or the end-to-end customer journey, I have two questions. First, who is responsible in a B2B SaaS company to really map and then understand that end-to-end customer journey. And then, by the way, the follow-up is going to be, 
who in the hell in most SaaS companies really understand what the buyer journey really is or the customer journey? So who's responsible for mapping in it? And how do they ensure that it's really the customer journey? Uh, so I, I'm trying to figure out where the shoe drops on these good questions here. Well, look, I might surprise you on this. The person that should map the buyer journey should be the person that is best at mapping the buyer journey. You know, it's funny when we uh, we did this thing with RevOps, you know, where, you know, I have this view of RevOps, which is I think of it as a business model, right? And part of that key element to it is an end-to-end life cycle where we can track major milestones against that life cycle. So the same thing we're talking about right now. And for me, that is sort of the, the RevOps operating model. So in a perfect world, you have someone who's a, a RevOps leader that is responsible for creating a coalition of executives to come together and agree on the customer life cycle and ultimately the metrics that will support to support that life cycle. For me, that's that that RevOps person is a coalition builder. Um, we say coalition because I think a lot of people try to for sort of organizational design to bring people together. In my opinion, that that's not the most important thing. The most important thing is that we have a coalition that can come together and agree on the customer journey and then can agree on the milestones that support it. RevOps to me, if you have a RevOps leader, that is they are there to do that. Now, I've had multiple organizations where marketing has done a very good job with that, right? Where ultimately they take almost a RevOps type role, the operational people there. Uh, we have strong CROs. But here's the thing, like the trick question here is we can't run the company unless the CEO believes it, you know, because ultimately we're, you and I are talking about go to market, but this, this is the most, one of the most powerful things that we'll do as an organization. So who runs it? In my opinion, um, RevOps is the coalition builder, but that said, I'll take anybody who can bring together the coalition and go, you know, help us go do that. Now. I love that. So yeah. the, the other part of the question is in that coalition, so we have you know all the go-to-market executive leaders in a company, do we get a couple customers or actual practitioners who represent our ICP and buyer personas and get their feedback on what their real buying journey is? How important is that to factor in? Yeah, I mean, I would say a couple things in my opinion. One is yes on what you just said. I think, you know, generally speaking, you know, everyone asks me like, you know, at which point is the data significant? And for me on buy, like customer journey, literally just six to 10 interviews with customers, you'll start to see commonalities. And you'll be like, you know, I can keep interviewing people because by the way, it's a good thing if you do, no matter what, like, you know what I mean? Like everyone asks me, it's like, well, we don't have time. Well, no, no, you should be talking to them anyway. Uh, but the other thing is that, I think companies should give themselves a little bit of credit too. The issue is not that there's not institutional knowledge, it's that it's not customer lifecycle focused. So you, you know, you interview the customers, but you should interview the people on the street and the people in hand to hand, right? So there are CS people, for example, they get dumped all the deals and have to go make sure that nothing churns. They know a lot about the customers. Salespeople have really good perspective if you ask them the right way, by the way. And demand gen can tell you a lot about the digital footprints, but they're all little pieces. We just have to put this all together. So like you have these pockets of really deep knowledge. Product marketing, if they're good, has already been interviewing clients. So you'll take this where you take six to 10 customers, you start to aggregate, you have to ask things the right way, an understanding of what's happening in each person's various functions, and you can bubble that all up to create your best guess for the customer journey. And then you start to go, and then you can start to learn from it and you make adjustments as long as you have this coalition that everyone has agreed on the initial 
and then everyone will agree on the optimizations going forward, then you know you can be successful with this. So this is the Metrics of Major Up podcast, and you've taken me to metrics a couple of times, and I haven't let us go there. So I want to go there now. So we got this end-to-end customer journey. It's beautifully mapped. It's been validated by customers, people in our ICP and buyer persona. But now we want to measure whether it's really helping us actually grow our company more efficiently across mm-hmm. acquisition, retention, and expansion. And at Sassmetrics Palooza, you mentioned this concept of the four vital signs so you could determine where triage is needed, i.e. where maybe somewhere our selling process is not well aligned to that customer journey. Can you tell me a little bit more about the concepts of vital signs and why it's so important to help identify where you may need help as a company? Yes, absolutely. So there's for us, there's four fundamental vital signs to track if you want to be in control. Okay. So they should not surprise anybody. The issue's not that people don't know these. It's that we get there's shiny new metrics are about shiny new objects. Once we know we want to track metrics, then we're all over the place. And for us, we think a level of simplification at the top can make you more effective. So we think of it as growth, like an example of that might be year over year ARR growth, right? Efficiency, so gross sales efficiency, magic number, churn, so you know, net retention is a, a common one, and then burn. So, you know, cash burn, rule of 40, those things, right? So we have examples there. I mean, for us, like let's just simplify this. We'll look at growth, efficiency, churn, burn. And then from there, if we see something happening, okay, in those four vital signs, then we need to take that step down, which is where I focused in SaaS metrics palooza, because, you know, I, you know, we want to start with these big ways that we look at the business that we're tracking all the time. And then what do we do, you know, after we see the, you know, any kind of anomalies or issues with the four vital signs, and we work down from there once we identify those things. Got you. So in your framework, we don't need to go into detail on a 30-minute podcast, but on growth, you have particular leading indicator metrics to say, how's our growth health doing? Is your year growth doing well? Efficiency, like how much does it cost to get a new customer? How much does it cost to retain a customer? Then you've got churn. So of those customers you're bringing in, how many are here and actually what percentage of dollars are here next year, two years later? And then burn, and in a VC cautious capital environment like we have today, how much capital are you burning to get each dollar of AR? I love it. Now, let me ask a question, because we have people who are listening to our podcast that are you know, 1 million, 10 million, 100 million. Are there any one of those four vital signs that are more important when you're kind of trying to go from that 1 to 10 million? I know I'm asking you a pretty granular question. Is it all about growth at that point in time? Or do you start thinking about efficiency when you're going from one to 10 million? Yeah, I mean, I think it's like the level of alarm bell is what we're talking about here, because everyone should build the foundation of their business around the four vital signs. And should we we should be tracking and, and watching that and looking to optimize it early on. And you know this, man, you and I have actually had this conversation multiple times which is like metrics debt and operational debt, we get into problems down the line if we don't start in a certain way. And so like, for example, efficiency, of course, like we're really early on, we just got to get deals done. But you still want to watch that efficiency number so that you can right start to build against that. You create a baseline and you would still, no matter what, even if you're early on, 
right? If you're looking at efficiency and you see it go backwards or you see it start to get better, there's a lot we can learn early on there still. It doesn't mean, you know, probably what three years ago, people would be like, wow, I'll spend more, you know, who cares? But like now, you know, we want to build these uh, efficient growth machines. So we should be looking at it early on. Now, obviously people would come to me and say, well, Craig, like churn. I mean, we have to get a bunch of customers, but here's one I think, you know, I'd love your opinion on this too, is CS upfront early, like making sure these customers are happy and stay with us. Years ago, it was like, get them in the door. We were just bagging them and tagging them. And then there was like these two CS people that were picking up these deals and trying to figure out what to go do. I think we've, we're in a different sort of period of how people look at their businesses and are thinking about churn you know, out of the gate and early on, hiring CS in the first batch of hires, getting as sort of granular as to how we get people to adopt and to use the product as possible because that again, you know, you wait too long on that and you're going to make mistakes. So you see what I'm saying? Like the alarm bell, like I wouldn't freak out too, you know, I, well, I'd freak out, you know, for example, churn. I mean, look, if the first 10 customers, we have a, a churn problem, it'd be hard to tell very early on, you know, of course, but like, you know, growth would probably be first and foremost on everyone's mind, but we, we should be building against the vital signs from day one. Would we yeah. burn the place down if one of them went squirrely in the beginning stages of the customer lifecycle? Probably not, but it's, you know, it's, they become these benchmark points that we can work against. I'm going to double click on that question about customer success and its role because we had Nick Meta, right, um, the CEO of Gainsight on the podcast a few months ago. He has some opinions on the topic. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so he was talking about why, you know, over the last couple of years, that onboarding and engagement was yeah. such a critical measurement of CS impact. So beyond yeah. the renewal process or even NPS, he went into how they're using your product. How often are they using a product? What value are they driving? He believed in it so much, he went out and bought a product experience company, right? So they yeah. can now integrate product analytics and product engagement directly as a feedback loop to not only their product teams, but to their CS to say, oh, this customer is not using the product too much, or they're not getting to the aha, high value moment in the product often enough, and CS now is more focused on that. So I totally agree. I think onboarding engagement and utilization are critical to revenue growth and retention. Yeah, you mentioned it, like from the product experience perspective, as fast as you can find that product experience metric that tells us in how they use the product that they are about to become really happy customers and are more likely to grow, you know, the more solid of a company you will be. I, I think I use this example. One of my favorite ones is like in the um, customer support space where basically they, you know, all of them realize very early on that if you get them to create a ticket, right? If you get them to go in there and create a ticket, you're in really good spot. And then if you get them to create any other kind of workflow, right now you're in product experience metric wonderland and that thing's going to grow. You know, those are identifiable and things that you can go look at. We got to find that. And that comes from a focus on CS, right? And and on, as you said, onboarding and product usage and these things. As we become more metrics driven, um, these are really some of the most amazing things that we can do today that you know, shoot, I just now I sort of look back at my days at selling client server software, just going, man, we had it hard. I mean, we get to see it now. So anyway, I would agree with Nick. It's interesting. They're also, and we're going a little far afield, but when <laughs> I heard you talking about the creating a ticket, 
you know, most SaaS companies today, we recommend what is your North Star metric? Another example is DocuSign. It was number of contracts that were sent through the DocuSign platform. That's when they knew that a, a customer was going to possibly be ready to upgrade because they were hitting a certain threshold. But I want to pivot to another topic because we've only got about 10 minutes left. Oh, man, sorry. Um, having That's okay. It's not your fault. Having um, been such a data-driven revenue leader, yeah. and that sales process to me, it was critical. But I'm not going to share why it was so critical to me. For you, you talked about having a well-defined sales process is critical to make effective use of metrics. Can you tell me a little bit more about why a well-defined sales process and metrics are interrelated? Yeah, well, if you... First, we'll juxtapose it. Like one of the first areas of the go-to-market that became really data-driven was marketing, right? Um, and if you look at it, well, there was nuance, it turns out later, but just if, you know, from a high level, you look at it, someone becomes a lead and fills out a form, that's a discrete activity that we can define. And we have a level of under common understanding of what that looks like. You know, in sales, the issue was it, it's such a human-driven exercise that you know we we really didn't know where we really were. i mean we had some idea the way we figured out where we really were was lots of conversations and everyone you know you know this you know i, I remember going into a high-flying SaaS company there was nine theaters or regions or whatever they call it and it was like they each had their own methodology and so i'm going sitting there going we can't look at don't look at the data because you're you're just not going to get what's happening there. And so what we realize is that this is an exercise where you actually have to sit down and figure out the major steps in the sales process, what actually happens in those steps, and more importantly, what is the exit criteria, often human verified, that allows you to go to that next step. Now we know where we are. Now we can track it. We get everyone on the same page. You know, it's amazing. Every time I do this, it's like all the old school folks, they all get it. Some of the newer folks they always go, wow, Craig, every you know buyer is their own unicorn. It's like, yeah, but they end up in the same spot. So they can twist and turn. It's okay. But like they do take a demo, right? They do have to get a contract together. And, and so, you know, we can do this and we should. And so you want to, that's why it's so important is, we need to actually define the steps. Most important is the exit criteria. So you nodding because you're a revenue leader. And that tells us where we actually are in the sales process. And we can actually optimize because if you take those steps and you have those definitions and now you look at things like conversion rates. I mean, I had a customer. I, this was crazy. I think I gave this again. Their trial to close conversion rate was absurd. It was so bad. It, it was like in the 30s, 40s, I think. I don't know. I, I don't remember, but it was not good enough. And it's like, we were able to track that. That's fixable. I mean, right? It's so nuts, by the way, that um, the sales leader lost his mind, but so fixable. But we wouldn't have been able to do that had we not know when trials happen, what happens in the trial, and what it takes to move from the trial to the next step. And um, because of that, we were able to go fix that. You do, you know, as you know, 10, 20% conversion rate lifts and a sales process is worth a lot of money. And so, um, but we wouldn't have been able to do that had we not gotten granular and gone in there and defined those steps. 
It was the only part of your Prisa where I actually pulled everything out and got a table up there and showed some bullet points and some serious writing because I believe it is absolutely essential. The other thing I mentioned to you, Ray, I know I'm talking a lot, but I just think about this a lot because you do, you know, now that you're doing consulting too, it seemed like every time someone came to me, they'd say, well, you know, we need to do, you know, better discovery. We are Prizo sucks or whatever. And I'd say, great, show me the sales process. And, you know, they didn't have one. And I'd say, well, look, guys, like we have to start with that. We have to expectation set and figure out how we got here. So like if there's a demo problem, how did we get here? What did we, what questions did we ask? What did we need to know? You know, a lot of times just by having that sales process, it's such a powerful framework for fixing a lot of issues in the sales process as well that um, there's just, a, I mean, the benefits are numerous. Yeah, I agree. Being able to understand what that converge rate is from a stage uh, one, whether you call stage one a discovery call or that, an introductory yeah. call, and you want to move to that maybe further qualification, you need to know what those drop-off rates and find out why people are dropping off. But I'm going to blow you away with the latest research I did on also it's called pipeline performance. We did it with lean data, okay. Clearbit, Modern Sales Pro, and Atrium HQ. So we got some pretty powerful companies in there, right? So Craig, the first thing I, we asked was about, you know, do you measure the performance of leads from inbound channels versus outbound? 64% of B2B tech companies said, yeah, we measure what percentage of leads come from inbound versus outbound. It's like, okay, that's good. Now we asked them, how many of you actually measure even MQL to closed one? 33% of companies know that a marketing qualified lead, if it results in a closed one or closed loss, I'm like, how in the hell can we be data driven across the, even the customer acquisition process with if only 34%, 33% of companies are measuring that? Does that surprise you? No, no. Doesn't it's so these companies? Why in the hell now that we've got all this data, marketing automation spitting out data and CRM spitting out data? Why aren't we doing it, Craig? Well, I think you said something really important, which is a message to everyone here is you can do it now. You can do it. So there's really no excuse for the 67% that aren't doing it. Why am I not surprised? Because I mean, I'll I'll say it in the sort of empathetic way, which is we just start running. And um, we can't, we don't stop running. And then, you know, in tech in particular, we have, we don't have 25 year veterans of companies. It's rare. So we're running, new people are coming in, old people are going out. We've got all of this. We're just in a constant state of running and change. Um, you know what happens to our operational people? Like they become sort of, they're on their uh, red alert all the time and they're trying to like go out and, run a report at 11 at night. It's very hard for them to sort of be proactive and make sure that we have everything um, together from a metrics perspective. That's why I think of RevOps strategically, Ray. Like I, I want people, that's why I pull them out of that and have them help us build the life cycle. Okay, different story. Sorry, off my soapbox. So look, everyone, it's funny because Ray gave an example of what I said is really easy to track early on in the thing. And it's true. Like, we have to nail the stuff that's extremely easy. It's not easy, but like easier to track. An example is MQL too close. Like that guys is very trackable and the best companies in the world do track that. That's the thing is if we unpacked the 33%, I mean, if we went to a company that was, you know, growing at exceptional rates, right? They, you know, most of them know, 
what a lead to you know conversion rate it's 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 absolutely essential and by the way if you can't just take a step back right look at the technology that you are you probably already have it and as you said most marketing automation can help you support it but if you need other applications like you mentioned lean data or whatever that might be that's out there and available to you as you build your stack to be able to track this stuff you just it's very hard to run your business today particularly in SaaS, which is so digital experience oriented if you don't know your metrics and like that's a you know it's crazy right it's only 15 20 years old but it's a basic one a fundamental one yeah we're already coming up to the end of this episode and i could talk to you for two three hours but i wanted a listening audience to get to know you a little bit more on a personal basis but i'm going to do it through a business lens and right. it's funny craig i cannot tell you how many people when i talk about benchmarks etc when you were at both topo and gartner they're like well, have you talked to Craig Rosenberg about this? So it's like, you got a fan club out there and oh. I was a member of it. So oh, I want people to get to know you even more. So hundreds and hundreds of companies that you've looked at over the last 15 years, yeah. now you're doing it through the lens of a venture capitalist and your portfolio. Yeah. So is there a CEO or company out there in our industry that you think is a must follow today for all those aspiring founders and CEOs to say, this is a CEO or company, you gotta learn their secret to success. Oh my gosh, wow, what a powerful one. Well, I, I would say there's, you know, I, I could have come better prepared for this one, but I actually have an answer, which is, you know, I, I would try to take from pieces of various CEOs that are out there. Not You don't have to go too many, but like you brought up Nick, like for example, Meta created a new business organization. Like everyone says, oh, he's a category creator. I'm like, he defined a new part of the business. Like he said, there's you need this thing called customer success. So there's a ton to learn there. That's like beyond category creation. That was like helping people define how they run their business, I think is a perfect example of you know a, a critical learning there. That's an example of one. I feel like... Um, Gosh, there, there's so many folks that were so good and sort of jumped out of the game. But like from a product-led perspective, I think, you know, Jeff at Twilio, I think like you have an engineering-centric leader there who, um, you know, sort of has over the years been balancing go-to-market with a devotion to developers and to the tech and built a real sort of flywheel around product led and so you know for a lot of ceos like that's a really good follow because you know as you build things like product led there's there's so much to it how do you get them in here like you know like what decisions do we make around product which is like something that we don't talk about enough and go to market and then how do you mix and match go to market at every remember they went you know they took every stage of the life cycle um, and now we're at full scale. I think that would be a really good example of of one I would you know go look at. But you can see, like it, you know, it uh, it really does depend on your business model. Like for example, if you're trying to go into the enterprise, right, and do like big deals, like you should follow Bill McDermott. I mean, there's just nothing to it. The guy is like one of our legends. Of he's not the CEO, Jim Steele. The you know, if you're trying to get in the enterprise, like watch what. You got, you got the Bill's book right in front of me, Winner's Dream. It's an amazing read. Yeah, he 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 is like, ask anybody who's worked with him for one McDermott story on how they got some big deal done. And like, you'll learn. So 
uh, everyone sort of talks about, you know, the old school of sort of software tech, but those folks know how to get big deals done. We can learn so much from them. And McDermott's still out there doing his thing. So that, that would be a good one too. So you can see where I'm going here. Like we have different things that we need to go learn. I don't think one CEO can satisfy everything. And I love, especially the Jeff Lawson at Twilio and what he's done with the PLG oh, motion. Amazing. Incredible. Yeah, yeah. So now you spend a lot of time looking and digging into these B2B technology companies end-to-end life cycle. Is there a piece of software that every B2B SaaS company has got to be using today to help kind of manage the automation and measurement of the, whether it's customer acquisition, retention, or expansion process, that you're like, this software is a must buy for everyone. Well, so I'm just gonna make a note to all of my friends in the sales and MarTech and say it, cause this is always a dangerous path for me. I will say you all do really good things. And there's, I've seen so many different flavors of how people put together their stack to be able to do this, that I'm not ruling everyone out, but I'll give you a surprise one, which is, you know, I don't know if you know Justin Gray at Shift Paradigm, but like he and I have been spending a lot of time talking because he's been a marketing automation, sales automation consultant for 15 years. And basically now to get the tracking that everyone needs, he's pulling mirroring data out of the various applications and dropping it into a data warehouse and putting Tableau on the top. So I didn't, I, you wanted an application there, but I'm giving you an infrastructure decision. It's amazing, right? Because he just said, look, like it's it's really hard right now. So like, let's just get the data in and we could do a lot of things. So a lot of things that like, for example, you know, our portfolios are, are really good at is looking at historical pipeline, for example, that you can't, you know, in Salesforce, you have to tag everything to be able to go do that, right? Um, but if you put it into a data warehouse, now you've got all these options. So everyone's going to get, you know, all my friends in the business are going to get mad at me. But that is, you know, for a lot of folks, look, that is a solution. And you and I, Ray, we want people to just be able to look at customer lifecycle metrics often in one place, like at historicals and deep levels for, you know, Justin told me, and now I'm convinced just looking at some of the use cases he's created that that is, that's my recommendation. Boy, I tell you, that is so dead on. One of the people I really admire is Henry Shep, the founder and CEO of Zoom oh, yeah, Man, but if you listen to his presentations about the, the one of the keys of success at Zoom Info, it was the creation of this data lake and the inputs they get from all the transactional systems, right? Their CRM system, their customer success system, and how that basically prioritized who they reached out to and when. Uh, one simple example, he's like, Ray, he goes, 25% of those people who scheduled a meeting but didn't show up to that first meeting, they became customers within three months just because we had a system that said, oh, you just don't say they didn't show up and you just try to call them back as you can as an SDR. It was a very much automated process and 25% became customers. That pretty amazing data point, all because of what you just said. Yeah. Well, we're going to wrap up with the last question. And I think because I just had somebody, you know, a child graduate from college, another one who just entered into college, the question is, what advice would you give a soon-to-be or recent college graduate who wants to be the next great B2B cloud company founder? What advice do you give them for right now as they begin their career? Well, the young folks who haven't even finished college sometimes have defied all advice I would have given them. I mean, right? I mean, it's extraordinary. These kids that have built these companies are just 
They've done things that are beyond anything. And I'll give you an example of why you and I might be outdated giving them advice. So I wanted to go play with the GPT-3, the, you know, content, the, you know, open source content creation. And so, yeah, John Miller, who's the CMO at Demandbase, I went, you know, I was talking to him about, he's like, well, my son has created his own, (laughs) he's using GPT-3 to create these SEO killing blog posts. So I'm like, let me talk to him. So I get on the phone with a 16 year old kid who gets on and teaches me every, he's like, Craig, why don't you tell me the key uh, words you would use in a blog post? And I give it to him. He creates a blog post right there. And by the way, we're on a Zoom call. He's 16, puts me on a Zoom call. And he starts showing me these things. I mean, they are coming. They are all very tech savvy. And so I just learned now, like the advice that I would normally give, which is go out and like learn a business and then go build a company. It's like, you know what, just, if you uh, if you have an idea, like, and you're, you know, these kids are so talented, just do it. Like, just see how far you can take it. And it's worked. And if it doesn't work, it's fine. By the way, you're really young and you went for it and you'll learn a lot. And then just start to, you know, work your way back. But like an entrepreneur, what I've learned is these kid entrepreneurs are entrepreneurs and they just, they make it happen when they're 18. They make it happen when they're 22, 23. And uh, like I said, they defied my gravity, that's for sure. Well, I love it. So where so many people it's like, well, here's the path you should follow. It's like, pursue your passion and figure it out as you go, because you have the ability to be incredibly successful because you're a digital native. You know what the hell's going on out oh there. Oh, my God. Yeah, they're just laughing. I mean, you know, we've Ray, I, I know we've all, I've been worried for you. My kids are uh, much younger than yours. That one day they're going to say, oh, dad. Well, actually, they've started. And uh, you don't know anything, you're, you know, and like uh, the right. I mean, these young folks coming up are so, they're digital experts. I mean, they are they are so far beyond, you know, where the original set of founders were in terms of their expertise with tech coming into the game. They're developing their ideas in college, like Snapchat was developed in a dorm room. Like these, you know, these these young folks have, they they not just have the digital savvy, they have ideas and they should just go. As you said, follow your passion. Just go for it. Have some fun. There's nothing more American than creating a new business and creating jobs and creating, you know, a new a new company that grows. And um, so let's do it. And by the way, call me because I'd love to hear more about what you're building. (laughs) Spoken like a true VC, you've adapted very well. I know, man. So, Craig Rosenberg, thank you so much for being a guest on this episode of the Metrics to Measure Up podcast. Thank you. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. And to our listening audience, if you're enjoying the guests and the content we cover, I mean, from Amit Bendoff, the CEO of Gong, to Nick Mehta, the CEO of Gainsight, to the co-founder of LinkedIn and Craig Rosenberg, it would mean the world to us to go ahead and subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app. Go ahead and give us that thumbs up with a five-star rating and even provide us recommendations of how we can make the podcast and our guests and content even better. Thanks, everyone. Thank you, Craig. Thank you for listening to today's Metrics to Measure Up podcast. If you would like to learn more about B2B SaaS metrics and benchmarks, please visit revopsquared.com.